Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Fresh Vision Church. Uh, once again, uh, my name is Isaac uh, Medina, and uh, Pastor Angel has asked me to teach this morning. Um, over the past few weeks, I've been uh, revisiting the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've celebrated uh, Christmas and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, uh, the Lord has led me uh, to share with you guys from the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 3, and I will be in verse 19 and verse 20. And the title of the message this morning is A Bold and Radical New Year. A Bold and Radical New Year. Uh, so before I get into the study, uh, let me open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Luke, chapter nine, uh, Luke chapter 3, rather, verse 19 and verse 20. And uh, it's actually behind me here on the screen. And it's A Bold and Radical New Year is the title of the message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this morning, Lord, this opportunity to come here together, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, I just pray that you would help me this morning, that I would decrease, Lord, and that you would increase, that you would bless us, Lord, that you would feed us through your word, that it would pierce our hearts, it would change us, we would leave this place different, Lord. We thank you so much for just the privilege of knowing you. I pray for every individual here this morning. I thank you so much for bringing them here, Lord. I pray for whatever heaviness, whatever the world has on their shoulders, whatever we brought in here this morning, Lord, we would lay it at your feet and we would focus on you. We pray for the presence of the power and the person of your Holy Spirit here this morning, Lord. Have your way. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I mentioned, you know, I'm very grateful for the Lord for the opportunity to come here this morning, to worship Him, to hear from Him, just so many things going on in the world around us right now. You think about just all the headlines. Think about 2017. And let me read to you some of the headlines that come into my mind. We are closer than ever to a nuclear war with North Korea. Uh, we had a total solar eclipse uh, visible over the contiguous United States, and this hasn't happened since February 26 of 1979. Uh, we've also seen more damaging, more costly wildfires scorching parts of the western United States and Canada. A very large 8.1 magnitude earthquake um, hit Mexico this past year, uh, one of the strongest in the century, killing many, many people. Hurricane Harvey, uh, the first major hurricane to make landfall since 2005, uh, the state of Texas impacted by that. And of course, the mass shootings that we read about continuously, you think about Las Vegas, for example, and the church in Texas, just to name a few. And when you think about all these things, they're, they're very burdensome, they're, they're um, disheartening to, to, to think about. But as we are in 2018, all of these things, we don't want to carry them with us. We don't want those things to be our focus. We want the focus to be on the Lord and the work of the Lord. And when I think about that, I think about being bold and being radical for the Lord, being different for the Lord to fulfill his purpose. And one person that comes to my mind is John the Baptist. And, you know, you think about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was a pretty radical guy. He was pretty different, but he was bold for the Lord. And in fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, uh, here he is described as having a very interesting uh, fashion sense and a very interesting um, uh, choice of food. It says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
Now, John the Baptist was preaching an unusual message, a message of repentance. He was making a way for the coming of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus Christ, his first coming to this earth. And when you think about John the Baptist, just like John the Baptist, all of us in this room as followers of Jesus Christ, we too need to be bold and radical, just like John, making a way for the second coming of Jesus Christ, doing the things that the Lord has called us to do. And when you think about it, um, the, Lord, the Lord has called us to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of every nation. That's what he's called us to do. That's the Great Commission, right? To share that gospel message. Number one, that Jesus died for our sins. Number two, that he was buried. And number three, that he rose from the dead on the third day. You put your faith in that message. You recognize that you are a sinner and you repent of your sin. That's what makes you righteous in the sight of God. Now, when you think about repentance... Now, when we repent of our sin, when we give our lives to Jesus, does that mean we're perfect? No, we're not perfect, right? We're, we're going to continue to be sinners. We're not going to be sinless, but we should desire to sinless, right? That's the way our lives should be. And when you think about repentance, I think about a 180 degree turn from the initial direction that you're going. So if I'm going in this direction, if I repent, I'm going to be going in that direction. There should be a change in our lives when we give our lives to the Lord because he changes our hearts from the inside out. And like I said, we're not going to be sinless, right? Because every single day we're going to fall short of God's glory. Paul speaks of this in Romans 8, chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 23. Now, John the Baptist was telling the people in that time what their lives should look like because they were asking him, well, what should we do then? You know, what does repentance look like? If you look at Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, um, it says, so the people asked him, speaking of John, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So as believers, there should be a change in our life. There should be a difference in our life. Um, you know, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about this a little bit. He describes us as these living epistles, these living letters of recommendation, if you want to call it that, for the, for the faith. You know, people are reading us every day. They see us every day. And uh, I remember Pastor Greg Laurie once said that we may be the only Bible that somebody will ever read. And we have to be very, 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 very careful, you know, what we represent wherever we are. We have to be very careful um, and make sure that we've truly allowed the Lord to come in and begin changing our lives. And it's a process that will continue until we leave this earth, right? We're not going to be perfected in this life because we're still in the flesh. And, you know, when I think about John the Baptist, some people even thought that he was the Messiah, that he was Christ. But what I love about John is that he immediately took the attention off of himself and he would put it back onto Jesus. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, um, John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So all of us in this room, you know, we're followers of Jesus Christ. We're doing the Lord's work. 
we are just messengers. We are just vessels for the Lord to work through. We're nothing else. We're nothing more. And that's what I love about John is that he wanted to decrease and he wanted the Lord to increase. He wanted people to keep their eyes on the Lord and not so much on him. And that's what we have to be careful of. You know, I think about Sunday mornings, for example, when you come here, don't expect to hear from a man, whoever's up here, expect to hear from the Lord. You know, pray for the messenger, whoever's going to deliver, that the Lord speaks to you and not so much putting your faith on an individual or any individual um, that you would put your faith in. Put it in the Lord, no one else, because it's the Lord that's going to change lives. We can change lives. We can be the messengers, but only the Lord can change those lives. You see, John the Baptist was stirring up. He was encouraging people to get their hearts right with the Lord before his first coming. And like I said earlier, we need to be doing that today, encouraging, stirring people up to get their hearts right with God before his second coming, because he's coming back. The word of God tells us that he's coming back and his word is truth. And we should be living in a way uh, where we truly believe he could come back at any moment, an imminent return of the Lord. He could come back right now. He could come back tomorrow. We don't know. And we just have to live in a way where we believe he could be here at any moment and that will allow us to, to do the work that the Lord has truly set us here to do. Now, as John continued to preach and presented many other exhortations to the people, what he does next is he rebukes Herod the Tetrarch, which leads to our text this morning. So my first point this morning is John's rebuke. John's rebuke. Verse 19 and verse 20 of Luke chapter 3. Here Luke records, But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. So what we see here is that John the Baptist confronts Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch had um, taken his brother Philip's wife and made her his own. So John the Baptist confronts him about this and also for all other evil things he had done. And what we see here is that John, um, I'm sorry, Herod throws John into prison. This is his reaction to John's rebuke. And what I love about John here is his boldness, his willingness to preach even against this individual, this, this powerful individual who was pretty evil, right? Probably an enemy. And he didn't pick and choose whom he was going to share this message of repentance with. He shared it with the soldiers, the tax collectors, and this individual as well, Herod the Tetrarch. Now, who is this person, Herod the Tetrarch? Well, if you look in the very beginning of Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 2, what we have here is a little historical overview of the time uh, during John the Baptist's ministry. So here Luke records, um, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Etruria, and the region of Trachanitis, and Licinius Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So during the ministry of John the Baptist, uh, Luke tells us here that it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Now, Tiberius Caesar was the emperor of the Roman Empire of that time. And I'll show you some maps in just a minute here. Um, but he began ruling around 13 to 14 AD. So if you add 15 years to that, uh, scholars suggest it was around 28 to 29 AD. And Jesus and John the Baptist were around the age of 32 to 35. 
And in fact, if you look at Luke chapter 3, verse 23, the Word of God tells us that Jesus began his earthly ministry right around the age of 30 years. So once again, we have this list of political leaders and religious leaders of that time. There's seven of them listed here. And um, let me step out of the way here. So here's a map, um, a world map. I've labeled um, El Paso, so, so we are here. And then if you look across the Atlantic Ocean, I've boxed the region of interest that I'm speaking of this morning. And the next map I'm going to show you is an enlargement of this red boxed region here. So as we see here in the text, um, the Roman emperor was Tiberius Caesar. So he ruled over the region that is inside of the outlined red region. So he's ruling inside these areas of the, the red line. And I did some research on this guy, and apparently um, he was very cruel and uh, very uh, severe in terms of his cruelty. But he was also afraid of thunder and had some skin rashes, occasional skin rashes. So that's, that's kind of an interesting fact there about um, Tiberius Caesar. So I've also outlined in this map um, the region of Israel here to our right side. And um, I'm going to show another map, which is an enlargement of this region here. Um, so Luke shares with us that the governor of Judea, um, which I've circled down here in the bottom, um, was Pontius Pilate, also very insensitive towards Jews, uh, known for cruelty and brutal massacres. And then we have um, the three tetrarchs. Um, so the tetrarch means a ruler of a fourth part, also very corrupt, very cruel individuals. And Herod the Great, um, who died around 4 BC, he, when he died, this region was divided and his sons were given uh, portions of the region to rule over. So the first individual is Herod Antipas, that is his son. This is the guy that John the Baptist rebukes here. It's Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. So Herod Antipas ruled over the region of Galilee. And then his brother Philip, the one whose wife he took and made his own, Philip, ruled over the region of Etruria and Trichanitis, which is over here to the east. And then um, the, the other son, uh, Licinius ruled over the region of Abilene, which is a little bit further north from Etruria. So once again, all of these individuals were ruling over this region. Um, so the person we're speaking of here is um, Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. So Herod Antipas, once again, is the son of Herod the Great. He took his brother Philip's wife as his own, and John the Baptist confronts him about it. So Herod Antipas then throws him into prison. And then there was also two Jewish high priests that are mentioned here. You have Annas and Caiaphas. So after Jesus, if you remember, was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he was seen by Annas and Caiaphas, and then ultimately he was seen by um, Pilate, who put him to death to be crucified. So going back to Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 19 and 20, once again, we read here that he rebuked um, Herod uh, for his lifestyle. Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, the word reproved is used. Um, if you look that up in the Greek, it's alegho, and that means being convicted of a sinful state. So uh, what we see here is that John the Baptist, he convicts this individual. So he's convicted of what he's done, and what he does is he throws him into prison. Excuse me. So my next point this morning, point number two, is Herod's response. Herod's response. So once again, he throws him into prison on behalf of his, his wife, his brother's wife, Herodias. 
Um, but he didn't put John to death immediately. You see, he feared John. John was a just and a holy man. And if you look at Mark chapter 6, and this is not in my notes, but I'll read it to you. In Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 17 through 29, here we see uh, what actually happened to John the Baptist. So here in Mark, I'll begin reading in verse 17 of chapter 6. It says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Verse 21. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. So, when, so she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, speaking of John, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So as you can see, this is the end of John the Baptist, an individual that Jesus himself described in Luke chapter 7, verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And that's, that's a pretty incredible thing for the Lord to say about somebody. Um, a goal, I think, of all of us as, as disciples of the Lord and as we do his work. So John the Baptist was a pretty bold, a pretty radical guy. So my third point this morning is John's boldness. John's boldness. And like I said before, what I love about John is his willingness to share, to preach truth regardless of who the individual was, whether he were a, sh a soldier, a tax collector, or, um, or Herod the Tetrarch, you know, this, this evil ruler. You know, he didn't do like what Jonah did. You think about Jonah. Think about the book of Jonah. Remember the Lord had commanded him to go preach repentance to the Ninevites. And, you know, he didn't want to do that. He, he believed those people deserved God's um, judgment. He di they didn't deserve God's mercy. So what he did is he boarded a ship to Tarshish. Um, but, of course, there was this big storm. He gets swallowed up by a large fish. And three days later, he's thrown up on the shore of, of Nineveh. And the Lord's will is done anyways, um, even though he was upset that the Lord had um, showed mercy to these individuals. And, you know, just like John... We want to be bold and share the love of Christ with everyone around us and not just pick and choose because we don't want to show partiality. You know, the epistle of James speaks of this. We don't want to show partiality. And in fact, in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. And praise the Lord that he's long-suffering toward us, isn't he? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come 
to repentance. So for me, you know, just coming back to the gospel of Luke here in chapter 3, you know, I, I see a glimpse of the heart of John the Baptist. Just his, his willingness to do the Lord's work, regardless of who the person was. And, you know, when we share the love of Christ with people, just like he did here, you know, he shared it with an individual that was likely an enemy, a threat to him. You think about today, and you think about the terrorists, the people that would love to blow America off the face of the planet, you know, destroy Christianity. These individuals, you know, these are people we should be praying for and sharing the love of Christ with. And even though it sounds crazy to, to think of that, you know, this person wants to destroy me, but I'm supposed to share the love of Christ with them. You know, one terrorist I think of in particular is Saul of Tarsus. The guy was a terrorist. He was terrorizing the early church. But I bet you the early church was praying for this guy. And of course, Luke records in Acts chapter 9, he has this encounter with the Lord and his life is transformed and he becomes one of the greatest apostles, the Apostle Paul. So, you know, nothing is too hard for God. Um, we often put God in a little box or we put bounds on him and nothing's too hard for him. He's the creator of heaven and the earth. You know, he's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And often, I think when we think about family members, I, I think it's more difficult to share the love of Christ with family members because uh, we, we tend to get a little heated sometimes. I, me personally, um, I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone in the room, but, um, you know, we, we often want to give up on certain individuals. But God is able, and His timing is, is perfect. It's, it's never my timing. It's, it's never been my timing, but... But God is good and he'll do um, what he desires and when he desires to do it. So throughout our earthly lives, you and I, while we're on this earth, you know, there's going to be times when we too are going to be confronted for sin and things in our lives that need to change. And we too are going to have to confront people and address people about things in their lives that need to be different. Now, like I said, you know, we're living in times where we need to be bolder than ever. How we receive correction and how we give correction is very, very important. So, other closing this morning. Um, number one, how do you receive a rebuke or correction? So, why don't we think about that just for a little bit? How do you do? How do you receive a rebuke or how do you receive correction in your life? Um, do you receive it out of love? And when somebody corrects you, do you take it lovingly? Or do you take it in a bad way? Do you act like Herod? Do you want to throw them in prison and cut their heads off? Um, we need to receive correction and rebuke with love and thanksgiving. We need to receive, see, receive it as if it's coming from the Lord, because it is coming from the Lord. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the author of Hebrews writes, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And I love this because the Lord loves us and he thinks of us as his children. And when you think about it, your earthly parents, think about your earthly parents. You know, they, they would discipline you, right? They would, you know, throw that chunkla at you or, or whatever they used to do. How much more so is your heavenly father going to discipline you? Because he loves you more than your earthly parents do. So when he corrects you, you need to receive it with love and with appreciation. And I can assure you, because I've been corrected many, many times, and I know I'm going to be corrected many, many more times in the future, um, it hurts sometimes to be corrected. It hurts when people confront you about sin in your life, or they confront you about things in your life that should be different because you are in Christ. And 
I used to do youth ministry when I was back in Colorado. And, you know, one thing we used to talk a lot about is that the best place to be corrected is within the church body. Because once you go into the world to share that love of Christ, if you misrepresent the Lord, it gives people the opportunity to blaspheme the name of the Lord. It gives people the opportunity to call us hypocrites. And we don't want to misrepresent the Lord. I mean, we're not going to be sinless, but we, we, should, we should desire to be sinless, right? And um, a lot of young people that I remember ministering to were, were wounded because of things that they, they saw in the church that they didn't understand because it was so worldly, and yet those things were going on in the church, and um, just things that needed to be corrected that weren't corrected. And unfortunately, they believed they were going on in the church and were the normal but, but they weren't supposed to be going on. So if somebody corrects us, it's because God has put it on their heart to correct us. Now, number two, and I think this is a very important point here, is how do we give correction? I think it's very easy for us to say, oh, I'm going to go correct that person. I have something to tell them, right? It's very easy to just not think or pray, rather, before we say anything. And when someone falls into sin, often we stop looking at the person and we just focus on their sin. We forget about the person. We forget that they are, you know, a child of God and, you know, they've just fallen away. And we focus so much on the sin. Um, we stop talking to them. We start shunning them. And I think even, um, and I've, I've been uh, guilty of this, we sometimes even rank sin. We think, oh, well, that person committed adultery. That person's a homosexual. That person murdered someone, you know, you, we pick and choose whom we're going to minister to or whom we're going to remain friends or whom we're going to continue to talk to. And we have to be very careful because sin is sin, whether you've stolen, whether you've committed adultery, whether you've lied. I mean, a sin, sin is sin. We can't rank, rank sin and the Lord doesn't see it that way. Um, when someone falls into sin, we need to look at the person and not show partiality. Just like John here. He confronts the tax collectors. He confronts the soldiers, those with two tunics, and Herod the Tetrarch, for example. Right? He confronts all these individuals, um, encouraging them to repent, uh, to get their hearts right with God before his first coming. And like I've said already many times, we need, to get, um, we need to tell people, we need to encourage people, stir them up to get their hearts right with God before his second coming, leading as many people as we can to Jesus. And we need to remember that we're all sinners. Even if you're in Christ, you're still a sinner. And even if you find someone in sin, you know, a sin that maybe you've, um, you've, it's, it's your past, maybe it's alcohol or adultery, something you used to engage in, don't think that that sin can't touch your life again, because it can. You're still in the flesh. You have to be very careful. And we need to do it out of love. And in fact, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, Verses 1 through 3, um, he writes, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So it's all about restoration and not rejection, right? And as believers, uh, you know, you face believers, you face non-believers, it's, it's the same. We got to share the love and the mercy that God so freely has given to us. I remember hearing a pastor once say that when we come to church, 
we should expect to see a mess. We should expect to see people in bondage to sin, people in adultery, people in ho um, a homosexual lifestyle, people uh, that have stolen, people that have committed murder. I mean, that is the harvest field. This is not just some social country club, right? We, we want to be in midst of, of the needs in this, in this community. And once again, we want to do it out of love and not focus so much on someone's sin, but focus on the person and restoring that person. Because God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us this. So my third, number three, um, the third thing I want you guys to take away from this, you know, I said that God is love, but remember, love is not tolerance. Love is not tolerance. And we live in a time right now where I think there is a lot of tolerance. There's a lot of tolerating this, tolerating that. But if you truly love, you're going to want that person to change. You're going to want that person to be different. And, you know, we know that the wages of sin is death. Paul tells us this in Romans. And if you truly love someone, you're going to want them to turn away from their sin and walk righteously. And love requires an action. Love requires an action. So if you sit there and you just tolerate someone's lifestyle, there's no action there. So you really don't love that person. And the greatest example we have is in John 3:16. For God so loved the world, so he loved the world, that he gave, there's the action, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So once again, if you love someone, you're not just going to sit there and tolerate their sin. You're going to do something about it. And I would hope, I would pray that if, you know, God forbid, I would be overtaken by something. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a sinner every day. I sin every day. But if I'm overtaken by something that's leading me back to an old lifestyle or an old way of living, I would hope that my brothers and sisters in Christ would, would love me enough to, you know, slap me or, or wake me up. You know, hey, you need to get back on the straight and narrow. Because love is not tolerance. And as we confront people about sin in their lives, um, not everyone's going to receive it with love and with appreciation. You know, um, they won't necessarily react like Herod Antipas did when, when John the Baptist confronted him. But we have to be very careful. And I'm just sharing my own thoughts here. But sometimes I become selfish when the Lord puts it on my heart to share the love of Christ with someone or to correct somebody. Um, I fear losing you know, a relationship, a friendship, or a relationship with a family member. And I often have to remind myself that sometimes it's okay to temporarily lose a relationship and not lose the person for eternity. But we have to be very careful um, that we do everything prayerfully and we do counseling through the Word of God and not by our own ideas or our own past experiences. So it does take a lot of prayer and it does take a lot of um, digging in the Word of God when you do want to correct someone or confront someone. That way, um, if they reject it, it's not you they're rejecting, but it's rather God that they're rejecting. And I mean, it's still hard, but, but the burden is, is put on the Lord because it's correction through His Word and what He has given you through prayer and maybe what He has spoken to you. So as we continue into 2018, um, this new year, you know, we've learned about John the Baptist here. We need to be busier than ever and bolder than ever in the Lord, building his kingdom. And the key is being obedient to the Lord. And the great, we have a great example here of obedience. It's John the Baptist, right? Um, he, he made the Lord the center of his life. And, you know, unfortunately he was beheaded, but he's the Lord's. He's with the Lord right now. And 
Pastor Chuck Smith used to always say, Pastor Chuck, he used to say, you have only one life and it will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And then I'll close with this. These are the words from our Lord. Revelation 22:12. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So have a bold and a radical new year for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord God, we thank you so much for just everything you've done for us. We pray for 2018, Lord, that you would use us in a mighty way. We would be the examples. We would be the church, Lord, that you would desire us to be. That every single day we would look more and more like your son, Jesus, and less and less like ourselves. We pray for this community. We pray for El Paso. We pray that this city would be one for your son's sake, Lord God. We thank you that you've blessed this church for as long as you have, Lord God. We pray that you continue to guide us and to lead us, Lord, as we continue to do your work here in Northeast El Paso. It's not so much an El Paso or a Northeast thing, Lord, but rather it's a Jesus thing, that we would stay focused on building your kingdom and leading as many people as we can to your son before his second coming. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.